Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. So what is the sign that I can never be demon-possessed? What is the sign that shows me I'm going to heaven? What is the sign that proves that something took place in me spiritually? Here it is. The sign of a real Christian, you, you do God's will. And what is his will? Simply obeying his word. What is the sign of a real Christian? Jesus didn't leave us any doubt. He said, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Obedience is the ultimate sign that one is a follower of Jesus Christ. In today's message, Pastor Mark talks about the ultimate sign that we are followers of Christ. No one can lay claim to being a Christian who consistently disobeys God's word. How about you? Have you accepted Christ? Are you walking with the Savior? Do you have the ultimate sign that you cannot be demon-possessed and that you are on your way to heaven? In short, are you obeying Jesus? Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now here's Pastor Mark with his continuing study entitled, Faith or Signs. But come on, I mean a big fish for three days and three nights, come on. Jesus believed it. He believed it. Careful now, hook, <laughs> line and sinker. He believed it all. Did he? Well, watch what he says. Take a look at the next verse. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish... So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus said, I'm giving you a sign. It has to do with three days. It has to do with three nights. Notice, number one, Jesus knew he was going to die. Jesus knew how long he would be in the grave. Jesus knew that he would be resurrected by the power of God. He knew it. This was the sign. Now, in Matthew 16, 21, Jesus predicted that he would raise from the dead on the third day. Then in Mark 8, 31, Jesus says he'll rise after three days. And then again here, Jesus says he'll be in the grave three days and three nights. Now, what's up with this? How can all of these statements, how can all of these statements be true? Very simple. This statement of three days and three nights didn't cause any, not even a click in the Jewish people as they listened to it. Because of this. The solution lies in the understanding of how Jews measured time. According to a Hebrew idiom that was in place at this particular time, any part of a day 
could be counted as the whole day and night. So there's really two things in theory about this. Here's the one that I believe. I know there's another one, and it's possible that actually it was on Thursday that he was crucified and so forth. But I really believe this is the one. The Jewish Talmud held this. Any part of a day is the whole. So Jesus was simply using a common, well-understood generalization. What did it mean? This part of the word was ona, O-N-A-H. It meant that any part of a day or any part of a day and a night. So Jesus died on Friday, Friday night, Saturday night, Saturday, one day, part of a day, Sunday morning, part of a day, part of a night. It's very simple. It just means, most Bible scholars believe, he did die on Friday. He was resurrected on Sunday morning. So Jesus says, I'm giving you a sign. Just like Jonah was in there for three days and three nights, I'm going to be in there. Jonah came out alive. I'm coming out alive. Now, by the way, when he did come out alive, and they saw the sign that they asked for, did the Pharisees believe it? No, they didn't believe it. In fact, what did they do? They went to the Roman authorities and said, we have to come up with a lie here. We have to say that the disciples stole the body. So see, even though he came and raised from the dead, it wasn't because it wasn't true. They refused to believe it. There was no faith mixed with it. Well, look at verse 41. Jesus is going to condemn this really, really harsh. He actually slams the unbelief of the Jewish believers. Look what he says. Now, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation. In other words, the people there, the unbelieving Jews, and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. What is Jesus saying? He says this. When Jonah went and preached, these pagan Gentiles, they repented when they heard the truth. But you, one greater than Jonah has just preached to you, Jesus and John the Baptist. You refuse to believe. So the people of Nineveh, in effect, will rise up and judge you. They were pagan Gentiles. Ooh, did that get the Jews? But they had more faith with the teacher of Jonah than you do with the Son of God. Well, that's not all. Look at verse 42. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation. In other words, these people again. And what will they do? Condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. In the Old Testament, we know that Solomon was the wisest man in all the world and had all these riches, and it was known over the world. This queen of Sheba traveled forever to get there and to see it was true. The Bible tells us when she got there, she agreed. This is the wisest man she'd ever seen. She'd never seen riches like this in all the world. Jesus says, but one greater than Solomon, one more wise than Solomon stands before you proclaiming the truth. But what do you do with the truth? Unlike the queen of Sheba, you reject God's truth. Bottom line, the queen of Sheba will rise at the judgment to join the Ninevites in condemning all the unbelievers of Jesus' time. Jesus said, I've shown you sign and sign and sign and sign and proof and proof and proof you reject it all you will stand condemned. Well, what does that nation look like that rejects truth 
What does the nation of Israel look like? By the way, what does our nation look like when it rejects truth? And here's some scary things, but in these next three verses, there's tremendous application for Israel, short-term, prophetically, and then for you and I. Let's read. Verse 43. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it grows through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, this evil spirit, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. You say, what is this parable about? I'll explain it to you. It's very simple. But notice what it's about. Last part of the verse 45. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. Speaking of the nation of Israel that is hearing the truth from Jesus while he's alive. Number one, who is the man or the house in this parable? It's the unbelieving nation of Israel. Who is the evil spirit? Well, you know who that is. That's simply Satan. What does it say? In the past, back hundreds of years before, Israel as a nation committed spiritual adultery. They worshiped idols instead of God. Because of that, notice that there was an evil spirit in them. And this uh, evil spirit finally got removed when Israel went into captivity and they came out of captivity. When they came out of the Babylonian captivity, Israel never again worshipped idols. They'd worship for hundreds of years. They, today they don't worship idols. They don't really worship God, but they don't worship pagan idols. So, nation of Israel is the house. It was filled with evil. After that incredible time of, of judgment on God in the Babylonian captivity, they come out and notice, look in verse 43. It says, I will return the house. When they arise, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. So in other words, that in essence, the evil spirit came out of the nation of Israel. Now here's the principle. What was the religious climate of the nation of Israel when Jesus was here? It was dead religion. For the most part, Israel wasn't worshiping God. They didn't care about God. They were going through the motions. They were coming to church. They were providing sacrifices. They were doing all that stuff. So nothing good in their house, in their house, was happening. It was just dead religion. So you remember what this verse says. When the enemy comes and sees a house that was once cleaned of idol worship, but there's nothing in it of spiritual substance, what does Satan do? He goes and gets who? Seven other demons... And brings them where? To the house. Why? Because there's nothing godly living in the house. Now we're going to have application for us in a moment. Hold on. And then Jesus says, it'll be worse for this nation after the second time that the enemy comes in, Satan comes in, than the first. Well, did that happen? Let me give you two instances. One short term. About 30 years after Jesus died, what happened to the nation of Israel in Jerusalem? What happened in 70 AD? The Roman Empire came in and obliterated the nation of Israel. Took Jerusalem to the ground. When will the final prophetic picture of this, where the evil person comes in and takes over the nation of Israel, when will we see that? You will see that during a period called the tribulation, after the rapture of the church. 
After the church is gone, the nation of Israel will bow down and worship who? The Antichrist. That will be the fulfillment prophetically of this statement. What will it be like then? How will that house ever be cleaned again? Jesus cleans it. When in the mid part of that tribulation, the Jews go, "Uh uh-oh, we've been deceived. The Messiah was the Messiah. Satan is the Antichrist, the abomination that causes desolation. And then 144,000 Jewish evangelists, you think we're powerful. Wait till you see them go. And they go throughout the world proclaiming the Messiah. Now, what about you and I? Let me give you four keys, practical, really quick, then we're going to move on. Number one, understand a person can be demon-possessed. Okay, Mark, now I go along the ice skating deal. I'll even go along with the whale deal. But come on now. You're telling me there's a real Satan that can possess people? Absolutely. Still true today all over the world. If you're not a Christian, you're in the kingdom of Satan already. He easily can possess you. And we see that. Number two. Well, how do I open myself up to that? Is every unbeliever possessed by devil? No, not in those terms. Certainly not. Controlled, yes. Possessed, no. You have to be very careful with the occult. In the Old Testament, the Bible warned us thousands of years ago that this dangerous sign that we just saw, this religion and not a relationship with God, woo, that's, that's dangerous. And our country today is religious. But not many have a real relationship with God. So you can't come to church and then go home and play around with Satan and his deceptive stuff. There's great interest in the supernatural. We all are interested in that. And many unbelievers are deceived and unknowingly opening themselves up to the satanic powers of this world. How do they open themselves up? Well, they have curiosity and begin playing around with horoscopes, fortune-telling, witchcraft, psychic hotlines, Ouija boards, all of this. You say, Pastor Mark, come on, they just, man, what? it's a horoscope. What's the big deal? You're playing with the occult. God's word in the Old Testament said, don't go there. Don't play with it. You play with fire, you're going to get burned. So understand, if you're not a Christian, don't go there because that opens you to the occult. Number three, a true Christian cannot be demon-possessed. Understand, when you became a Christian, God came to live in your house. He swept the old junk out. Hallelujah. He cleaned our house. By the way, he's still cleaning. Oh, no, I'm perfect, Pastor Mark. Then you're in trouble. Because you're either dead and already gone to heaven or something's wrong. Because he's still cleaning in my life. Is he yours? He's still cleaning. He's working on getting stuff out. Now, when the Holy Spirit came in, he set up house in my life. And by the way, the Holy Spirit doesn't rent a duplex to any demon. Say, so he says, I like to have a little half of Balmer's house here. No, the Holy Spirit says to Satan, uh, no, he's the temple of mine. Off limits. Hallelujah. Now, can I still do stupid things? Can I, as a Christian, play around with Ouija boards? Sure I can. Is that stupid? Hello? So, I know, though, that I cannot be demonstrated. Number four. Here's the problem with religion relationship. You don't have to write it down. You just have to understand it. If a demon is cast out, the person must choose to become a real Christian or suffer worse. So see, that, that deceptiveness of religion, Israel was religious, 
but there was no relationship with God. God says, you're in trouble. If you're here this morning and you're religious and you go to church and you belong to a church and you give money and you're a member somewhere, whatever, you come and whatever, and, and, but you don't really have God living in your heart, watch out, disaster's coming in your life. Notice I use the words, a real Christian. Well, what is a real Christian? How do I become a real Christian? How do you define it? That's our next passage. Take a look at verse 46. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mothers and brothers stood outside waiting to speak to him. Notice in this verse something very important. Jesus plainly had brothers. We do know that Jesus' brothers didn't believe he was the Messiah until the resurrection. They thought he was loony. They lived with him, didn't have faith. Mary knew he was, but his brothers didn't. Notice verse 47, someone told him, your mothers and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. This is a strange response. He replied to them, who is my mother? Who, is my, who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples. They're not blood relatives. He said, here are my mother and my brothers. What did he mean by that? For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, what do you mean by that? Write this down. Spiritual relationships supersede physical relationships. See, at the core of your being, you're more than blood and flesh. You're spirit, body, soul, Spirit. Family is very important. On earth, family is number one. I mean, in a physical realm, family is very important. Jesus honored his mother. Remember, at the cross, he turned her over to one of the disciples. But you notice something here. What Jesus is saying is this. A real worshiper of me, by the way, so you'll understand in just 20 seconds, Jesus' mother and brothers, kind of in a, a big picture, were the nation of Israel. And Jesus said, except for Mary, in essence, the nation of Israel doesn't really believe me. I'm going outside the nation of Israel. And who would that be? Gentiles. And I'm going to anyone that does the will of God. A person doing the will of God proves that they love me. Ooh, you mean to be a Christian, you have to do more than say it? Yes. And that's what Jesus is saying. So that Mary and his brothers would have to come to salvation like everybody else. You can't have a blood relationship to a pastor or a priest or something and go, I'm a Christian. Blood relationship doesn't work. Has to be of the Spirit. One more passage to turn quickly. John 14, John 14, verse 21. Now, you say, what is a real Christian? It's going to be very clear to you. Very simple. Understand it. What's Jesus saying? Anyone that does the will of God is my brother or my sister or my mom. In other words, they're related to me spiritually. John 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Notice personal relationship, not dead religion. Skip down to verse 23. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey 43% of my teaching. No. See, some of you are here and say, well, I mean, I, I like that part, but no, I, I, don't, I don't believe that. There's, that's not an option. It's not an option. 
Notice, read it again. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him. And I love this. And we'll make our home with him. It's a relationship. They come to live. God comes to live in us. Verse 24, he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. So Jesus says, obedience to God will bring men, will bring women, will bring Jews, will bring Gentile into a vital spiritual relationship with him. So what is the sign that I can never be demon possessed? What is the sign that shows me I'm going to heaven? What is the sign that proves that something took place in me spiritually? Here it is. The sign of a real Christian, you, you, Do God's will. And what is his will? Simply obeying his word. That's as complicated as it gets. If you call yourself a Christian, you obey God's word and then walk in his will. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. That's why we study the word of God. That's why all of these things are trying to cast doubt on the word of God. Because the word of God is truth. You must mix it with faith to get to heaven. Take a look at these two signs and then we're going to close. The first sign that Jesus gave, well, he talked about it a lot. And we see that Jesus had to die on the cross for your sin, for Mary's sin. For her, his brother's sin, for the sins of the whole world, for Judas' sins. But the death on the cross wouldn't have been enough without the sign. The greatest sign is the empty tomb. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you remember? I'll give you a sign. After three days, three nights, tomb will be empty. Now what are you going to do about those two signs? What are you going to do with them? Let me show you what you have to do with them. In the book of Romans, we're told simply this. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart. Oh, I believe in God. No, no, not enough. Not enough. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Oh, Pastor Mark, I can't believe that part. I don't believe the ice skinning part. I know that's not true. Joe and I believe, but I can't believe that the tomb is empty. Let me give you a clue this morning. You'll never go to heaven. That is the proof. The sign. So if I do that, God raised him dead, you then will be saved. It's with your heart that you believe and are justified, with your mouth that you confess are saved. So how do I know if I'm a real Christian this morning? How do you know that? People ask you after they read this and go, well, I'm ready to become a Christian. What do you need to do? Confess. Number one, confess your sins. Number two, believe. Believe's an action word. It has action with it. What's the action? You obey. You follow. It's not complicated. We have all the signs we need. God loves you. He loves me. God's word never returns void, ever. Have you ever dabbled in the occult? Have you ever played with a Ouija board just for fun? In today's message, Pastor Mark warned us about the dangers of dabbling in that which we don't understand. Unbelievers especially can open themselves up to a spiritual world which they know nothing of. He also shared about the only truly safe way to guard yourself against demon possession, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Thanks so much for joining us today. Pastor Mark will continue to go through this series in the next edition of Lessons for Living. 
To add today's message to your study library, simply log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and select the Order a Message option from the main menu. The cost for each CD is $5, and that includes shipping. Again, to place an order for a CD, simply log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and select the Order a Message option from the main menu. Jesus was a master teacher. He taught in parables to large crowds of people. In the next edition of Lessons for Living, Pastor Mark will share about how Jesus taught people. He will explain what a parable is and how Jesus used them. True spiritual conversion is a matter of the heart. But to get to the heart, Jesus' words must get through our ears. Pastor Mark will challenge how we listen with the question, Are you listening? We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Mark continues teaching through the Gospel of Matthew. That's next time on Lessons for Living. In a hurry